This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. Scale of this cannot be overestimated. Manchester United's first win over Liverpool since 2018. A really tough one to take, such high expectations after last season, but it was far from vintage as Liverpool lost at Old Trafford and it's just two points out of nine and a quick fix is desperately needed to put the Reds back on track. Okay, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read all of the articles on Liverpool, everything on the site, by going to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. And right now you get a special price. It's a pound a month for six months if you head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. I'm Steve Hothersall, joined by Simon Hughes and Kiefer O'Neill on the Red Agenda and Liverpool beaten by United. And Kiefer, they, they almost didn't look ready for a game of this magnitude. No, they didn't. And I think that's the where fans are most disappointed because, you know, from the first minute you could almost tell that they weren't up for it. And that's not this Liverpool team, is it? And, you know, I guess we sort of seen that in glimpses and against Crystal Palace and then obviously more so on the opening day against Fulham which is weird because the Community Shield sort of gave us all it was a bit of a false dawn kind of felt like Liverpool were you know after a long pre-season early pre-season that they were you know getting going against the biggest rival Man City and it felt like you know a good marker a good sort of test for where they were at and it felt like coming into the season and you know they were going to be battling straight away but two points from nine is you know where they currently sit and that's, you know, abysmal really, isn't it, for this Liverpool team who do have set such a high bar and should be, you know, winning every game. We know it's not easy to win every game, but, you know, dropping points in the manner that they have so far isn't good enough. And, you know, I think the image that will stay with us all from last night is James Milner screaming at Van Dyke and just sort of that, like, bickering and sort of the squad just not looking the way they have. They just didn't look confident at all any area of the pitch. You know, there was moments from players I guess but United without the ball you know their shape I think was brilliant Liverpool struggled to you know when Alexander-Arnold was on the ball or even Andy Robertson on the wing you were wondering you know where are they going to go are Liverpool too wide at times even if they were coming narrow it just didn't feel like you know 17 shots and I can't really remember any of them being you know really troubling for David De Gea and I feel like yeah it just was a performance that was coming and almost needed in a way. I think, you know, getting points from those positions against Fulham and against Palace was sort of like, you know, they managed to get a point after sort of not the best performances, but I feel like sometimes you've just got to take it and that's what happened at Old Trafford last night. So, Sai, how big is the cause for concern at this point? I think Kiva made a really valid point about the community shield. Maybe, maybe it gave us a false impression of where Liverpool were at. How worried are you at the moment? I am worried, yeah. I think in this world now where there's a tendency to overreact to defeats and, and then equally, you know, blow up 
what might seem like big victories, like you know, like the the the, the community shields. It's hard to find a sense of balance sometimes in any conversation about football, not just Liverpool. But you know, if you look at the three games, they've been poor really in each of those games in different points. So I'd say you know, Klopp touched on it the first game. You know, the attitude wasn't right. I'd say lack of humility, game number one. Lack of discipline, game number two, has cost them. And then the worst of them all, I would say, a lack of desire in game number three. In terms of being concerned, I mean, I thought last night Man United sort of did to Liverpool what Liverpool have done to a few teams in the past, in the early years of Klopp, where obviously they, they tried to get the ball forward quite quickly and get the crowd on sides as quickly as possible. Liverpool didn't react to that. I think it is worrying that the, the three longest serving players who all started last night seem to struggle to keep pace with the game around them, both in possession and out of possession. I think, you know, as, as players get older, and it, it is an older Liverpool team now, I think the, the older teams tend to do better when they've got like a controller in midfield who can sort of dictate the way the game is being played. But Liverpool have never had that. You know, it's never been Liverpool's game, you know, to slow the game down at certain times and speed it up at other times. Weren't able to do that, so that was lacking. And then you've got your, your, you know, your main centre half, Virgil Van Dijk, who, as far as I'm concerned, has been really poor in all the games so far. Doesn't seem anywhere near the level that we've come to expect. And then within all that, you've got a lot of injuries. I mean, the, the Liverpool team that started the game should have been enough to compete with that United team, I would say. But there's a lot of injuries, and it's not, it's not the first time this has happened. So it's no good just saying, well, it's injuries. You know, poor old us. It's obviously a problem, isn't it? So they're going to have to figure that out. I think that's both Klopp's and Julian Ward's responsibility to figure out why it's happening again and what they can do to solve her. Because if the injuries carry on, if they get any more, it's going to debilitate the whole season. Meanwhile, you know, the, the, the game sort of finishes. I noticed Klopp had spoken to Sky Germany and he sort of half complained again about the fact that he can't get a midfielder that, that, that he wants, which... But it was quite revealing. So there's a lot wrong. There's clearly a lot wrong at the moment. And uh, we've seen in the past, like how, you know, when Liverpool have this sort of bad run, and particularly when it's dovetailed with injuries, how much of a snowball effect it can have. And we, we're not even in the Champions League phase yet, where, you know, the, the rhythm of games speeds up. So, yeah, problems, a lot to solve out, I'd say. I think Klopp's got some big short term decisions to make. And soon enough, he'll have some big long term decisions as well. I thought the post-match interviews were, were really revealing, both from Jurgen Klopp and, and Andy Robertson. I don't know whether you saw Robbo's Kiva, but he essentially referred to the fact that they'd finished the back end of last season quite badly and continued in a similar sort of vein, which, which made me think that this is in the players' heads as well. They're not just thinking about a couple of games here. They're thinking about a, a series of games which stretches longer. Yeah, I think that'll be the most worrying thing, won't it? Because, you know, we've chatted so many times on this podcast and in writing that you know these mentality monsters and it does seem that that's waned a little bit you know since what happened in Paris and obviously what happened on the the last day of the Premier League season and I think even before that the performances Villarreal the first half in that game you know where Liverpool have looked way off at their energy has just looked you know from the first minutes just not there and I think the troubling thing is that they are conceding first in the last seven Premier League games they've done that that's given them a battle straight away then they've got to you know claw claw back you know a victory from 
the clutches of defeat all the time and it just you know that's not helping them is it because you know going one nil down or whatever it is then they're having to go into you know it's fight or flight isn't it Where, which would bring them out of their rhythm and game plan even more because they're the team that you know should be dominant should be scoring first and then going from there but they're having to sort of rip up that plan every time and go oh god we've got to score now we definitely got to score now and then we've got to score another obviously last night it would have been you know scoring three to win the game which is a difficult task against any team isn't it and you know when Liverpool were going for titles and scoring those late goals and they just feel so far away from that team at the moment they feel like you know I know Salah got the consolation last night but you you didn't feel like Liverpool were going to get a second to equalise and I don't think they deserve one first off but if they would have got it Fans would have obviously enjoyed, you know, getting a point, but I think that would have, again, covered up the cracks a little bit again. And Simon was talking about Van Dijk before, and I feel like, you know, you kind of look at his performance last night and in the opening games, and he hasn't quite looked himself, has he? And I don't think, you know, starting the season with Joel Matip and then playing alongside Nat Phillips and then Joe Gomez... We talk about Van Dyke that he could play next to. I've said he could, I mean, Nan could play in defence with him, you know, but I think for him, having someone next to him consistently is a good thing as well. Obviously, Canate, you'd imagine, would have been in to start the season perhaps with him um, after how he ended last season. Obviously, he's been injured. That hasn't been able to happen. There's those little stories kind of all over the pitch that, you know, even Trent hasn't started the season great. And he hasn't really got that sort of pressure or com- you know competition at the minute because I think Calvin Ramsey's out as well as he and those sort of things happening all over that just just not helping and you know you look at Simakas getting brought on last night for Andy Robertson that happened against Crystal Palace and I'm not sure what that's for is that tiredness for Robertson's sake or is he just not looking on it and because he didn't look to to really bring anything to Macas, did he? Which, you know, you look at the start of the last Premier League season, it felt like when Robertson was out, he sort of stepped up. But that kind of thing isn't happening for Liverpool. So it's, you know, it's something that they've just got to work through. And I think Bournemouth on Saturday, you know, can change, you know, how everyone feels about this Liverpool team at the minute. Si, what did you make of Milner's outburst at Virgil van Dijk? Um it's fair enough, isn't it, to actually make make your point on the field. But maybe in the cold light of day today, people will view that as questioning the unity of the players in that side. What Was it the right thing for Milner to do? I'm trying to think how I'd react. Bear in mind, I'm not a professional footballer. <laughs> I always used to find lads who started shouting the odds, particularly when they're not playing well themselves, quite annoying. <laughs> I've got to say, you know, Milner, Milner started having a go, Virgil van Dijk, okay, it was straight after after the first goal, I think that was justified, I mean, van Dijk, I just don't know what he was doing there, I, I don't know, I don't know whether he's got into his head now that he doesn't have to make cover for people because of that's the way Liverpool play higher up the pitch, I just have not a clue what he was doing, taking a major risk there, so I think that, that one was justified, I, I suspect the... Sounds a bit like an episode from Love Island, this, doesn't it? Like, sort of, who was arguing with who? But I think the second one, Milner had just moments before having a go at Van Dyke for giving the ball away. had just done the same thing himself. <laughs> I thought Milner last night, I'm sorry to say, he struggled big time last night, I thought, both in possession and out of possession. I know it's a thing that people talk about when people get over a certain age, but I thought he struggled a lot last night. I don't know whether... Some of his frustration with himself boiled over to Van Dijk. But I do think that Virgil van Dijk, like anyone else, you know, deserves a bollocking from time to time. Just because he's Virgil van Dijk, he, he, he just needs to book his ideas up. 
I hope it leads to some introspection in the dressing room and they actually they sort out what the problems are. You know, the Jurgen Klopp spent a lot of time talking about the characters in Liverpool's dressing room. You know, this is a time where they, they do have to have some honest, honest conversations about what's what's been going wrong. Not just the players, you know, the management, the coaching staff, the you know, the off the field staff, you know, as I said, medical issues that Liverpool have had at the moment with lots of players being injured. What is going wrong that's causing Liverpool putting so much pressure on the Liverpool team? It was reflective ultimately of the position that Liverpool are in at the moment. We haven't seen that happened between two Liverpool players for, for quite a long time. Mm. And, you know, I, th- I think it shows that Liverpool are in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, I, c- I can't remember when two players sort of squared up. Not in that manner recently, anyway. Bruce Scrabble or Steve McLaren? <laughs> long time ago. <laughs> I'll, go to, I'll go to a cup final in the... It was, it was it Jim Beglin and Bruce as well. There you go, Bruce yeah. is in the heart of a lot of those. Um Kiva, one problem Liverpool clearly have got is they keep getting hit on the counter-attack. So Zaha did it. You saw it with Rashford last night. Uh, Pace. There seems to be teams trying to exploit that now. Is is there a weakness, an offering that opposition sides are looking at and thinking, this is the way to get at them? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, the goalkeeper going long sort of, you know, cut out Liverpool's press, doesn't it? You know, Liverpool like to press the goalkeeper and obviously Man United have been you know, pressed and, and harried by Brentford and then obviously Brighton in, in the game before that. So, you know, they, they learn quickly to be like, yeah, let's not give them the opportunity to do that. So you take away Liverpool's pressing game, then, you know, that's one of their main assets to how they play. And then the high line as well has always been called into question after games like this, and rightly so. When it goes right for Liverpool, it's not something that you'd question, is it, over the course of seasons, you know, Liverpool won a league title playing with the high line, then they will continue to play with the high line. It's not something that they're going to abandon, I don't think, anytime soon because this is how they play. I feel like having players like Joe Gomez in the side, who's just, you know, obviously played a little bit against Crystal Palace and then coming in to play the high line is difficult to play when you're not kind of in the rhythm of it, I think. I think the offside was quite close, wasn't it? I think the new rules kind of, you know, give the striker the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, I think it is something that opposition teams can get at with Liverpool and it's something that, you know, when Liverpool look open, it feels like they can't close that and there's nothing they can do. And last night that was, you know, United had hardly any possession when you compare it with Liverpool's, but Liverpool just felt more open and and weak when United were going forward. It felt like United could just slice through them at any point and score. I think that is when you worry about the high line a little bit because you think... You know, it does do such a good job and, you know, I think Liverpool of catching people offside and that kind of thing. But when it goes wrong, you see what Rashford can do, you see what Zaha can do and, and, and other players. And I think the time it reminded me of was when Liverpool lost those six games on the bounce. And obviously, you know, there was a defensive injury crisis, wasn't there then? But it just felt like that's how teams got to Liverpool. They'd wait patiently for the moment to break the high line. And then they do it. It just it feels like you when you watch Man City, you know, Carragher's said this a lot, um, and he said it last night. When you watch Man City, it doesn't feel like that happens to them. Players don't, you know, get in behind as, as often. Obviously Newcastle did fairly well at the weekend, but you know, it, it just feels like problematic for Liverpool at times, even though this is the way they play. So I'm not quite sure where they go or what they do. I just feel like they're not in the rhythm at the minute. And, you know, with 
Trent getting forward and sometimes not getting back. Robertson may be the same and, you know, just feel like it's it does cost Liverpool and it cost Liverpool last night. But when it works, it does work really well. So it's, you know, it's difficult to, to sort of assess it, I think. Imagine the scenario. A much-loved and inspirational leader has announced his intention to take a career break and you need to find someone just as tactically astute and charismatic, but perhaps without the glasses and the teeth. Well, when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They've even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk. W-L-K to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. What is it now? Is it get back to basics, Si? Is it just get a clean sheet on on the board? Yeah, I mean, ideal world, you want a clean sheet. Obviously, that constitutes taking the lead, doesn't it, and winning a game. Um, But I think, you know, as we've said repeatedly already, I think they need to try and get players back available as quickly as possible. That's not me saying, you know, rush them ahead of time, but they need to find out a way of, of having more players. I mean, Klopp, Spent a big chunk of last season complaining about not having been able to use five subs. Last night, I think he used three. Is that right? You know, in a game where it was clearly going wrong. I think that, again, shows, you know, that he, he's got a lot of young players on the bench. Wasn't a standout bench, was it? No, no. Some of whom who, you know, wouldn't have been anywhere near the team last year. You know, let's have it right. I mean, that, like, we, we spent, well, the, the club and people at the club were, were quite happy to sort of talk about how last season... A lot of the success and endurance of the team was was based on the preseason that these ads, which, to be fair, you know it was a it was a unusual preseason, and you know it's a COVID era preseason where they didn't have to travel to the far east or to the North America, so they had near enough a month in in Austria, which allowed allowed Klopp to build the players up into a level of fitness and and a, you know readiness to 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 take on a a big season, which they did, and obviously they fell short towards the end of it. I think, you know, touching on what Andy Robertson said, uh, you know, I do sense a little bit of a malaise across the club, you know, whether it's the the players, the way they play and all that, the, the sort of the fan base after the way it ended at Paris, in Paris, you know, not, not obviously just losing the league, but losing the final, then, you know, layered into that, what actually happens in Paris and the repercussions for that over the summer. I don't think people have really been able to emotionally prepare themselves for this season in, in, in that way and be right up for it. So yeah, there's, there's, there's all that context around it. I think in the future, the club needs to have 
you know, serious discussion about what it does in pre-season because if Klopp places so much value in this and wants to operate with the way he does, with it, play the football that he does, that has to come fair, surely, rather than, you know, signing, you know, autographs in a shopping mall in Bangkok, you know, for a couple of million quid. I mean, it could end up costing Liverpool one way or the other. It's hard to pinpoint everything, of course, but it's no surprise to me that the teams that have have started arguably the worst this season have been the teams that have done those sort of trips, you know, to the Far East, you know, Australia, Man United obviously beat Liverpool last night, but they spent a bit of time in Australia, Aston Villa spent time in Australia, you know, badly, you know, some of the other teams, are the, the sort of the, the, the teams that you wouldn't expect to, um, to do so well, I've started better, but I'd imagine, you know, some of the, well, sorry, I'm not imagining it. When Liverpool go on these trips, there's a lot more sort of commercial commitment that the players have to keep as well. All these things just have to be taken into consideration. So, yeah, they're not in a good place at the moment. Um, he is going to have to think quickly, the manager, and come up with some solutions pretty quickly because we've seen in the past how how quickly things can unravel at Liverpool with, with the way, because of the demands of the team, because of the regularity of the fixtures, he really needs to to think about it. You both mentioned the mitigating factor of the amount of injuries, and it it is ridiculously high, Kiva, isn't it? The number of players that Jurgen's having to do without some quality players that he's missing out at the moment. But it raises that conversation about should another player be brought in, and actually, how much of a say does Jurgen have in this? Is it is it sat with Julian Ward? Is it sat with them collectively? Do you think Jurgen desperately wants another body right now? I think managers always want more players to work with, don't they? So that I think that answers that question. You know, I think Klopp will want more personnel, especially with you know the injury crisis. But I think if Liverpool didn't have you know Thiago, Oxley Chamberlain, Curtis Jones, Naby Keita now added to the list of you know midfielders that are injured, I still think that he'd want someone you know someone new to sort of bed into that team because it does feel like it's got a missing link in midfield and maybe that sort of carried over from when when Aldham left and, and Liverpool didn't, you know, really replace him and I guess, you know, with Thiago when he's missing, you do feel like, you know, when Thiago's fit and firing and even alongside Henderson and Fabinho or be a catered, if they're all fit and playing together and they're playing well, then this sort of question goes away a little bit, doesn't it, I think. But it is a concern and one and one that you think, you know, will it have an impact on Liverpool? throughout the season it feels like now they're not fighting for the title anymore and we're three games in you know so is it now a top four race you know you, they've got to turn it around they've got to turn it around quick and I think you know will a new sign and help to do that no one really knows the answer to that do they but I feel like having someone in there I know you know Liverpool fans are, are desperate for Jude Bellingham aren't they to, to sign in from Borussia Dortmund and whether you know signing someone like him would, would fix Liverpool's sort of problems at the minute and add, add to helping, you know, getting them back to, to winning ways. I'm not sure, but I think, you know, it, it is the question that will persist as we sort of, you know, go into the final week of, of the transfer window. It's something that I think, you know, Klopp himself would like a, a, a new midfielder. I think, you know, those people last night on, t- on Twitter saying that, you know, Liverpool don't just need one, they need two and that kind of thing. So, you know, I think fans are going to keep on talking about it and if results go like this, then, you know, it'll definitely be something spoken about. And I think if if Liverpool don't do something, if results come in the way they, they have been, then, you know, fans are going to gonna be 
really disappointed. I think that, you know, FSG haven't sort of spent out on a shiny new midfielder because obviously Darwin Nunes plays last night and, and scores a hat-trick or something, you know, you're thinking this is great and I feel like sometimes it's results can really have, you know, the impact on the fan base as well and to be fair to Liverpool fans, they've been quite consistent in, in wanting a midfielder, haven't they? James's piece on uh, the site right now, Liverpool need to sign a midfielder but it won't solve all of Klopp's problems Feels a bit gloomy, doesn't it, Si? And, and I think Kiva mentioned it before. You'd have to go back to that defensive crisis a couple of years ago to think of a similar sort of mindset. I just hope we're not in as long a malaise as that. Well, it, you know, if you look at the amount of injuries they've got, I'd say now is actually worse, isn't it? It, it? it was just at that time, you know, it was such a key part of the team. All the injuries were centred on the same place, really. But as it stands, you know, they've got 10 injuries, Liverpool. All players who would be competing for for first team football. Now, again, this isn't it's not excuses, but it is it is a fact. You know that they do have these injuries, and it's compounded by the fact that I think th- obviously three or four of them in the same position, which is now midfield, which is the area where people have been saying for quite a long time that Liverpool needs to reinforce. So I, I think a little bit of a concern from my perspective is the way he sort of Klopp sort of flip flopped on the idea as well. I mean it. A few weeks ago, he was almost scoffing at the idea that you need a midfielder. Last night, after a defeat, he's saying, well, actually, we do, but my sort of hands are tied. Again, this is the interview that he gave to Sky Germany, not British broadcasters. So I'm a bit like, well, what is it? You know, do you want do you want a midfielder? Why? It just seems like the pressure's on now. I've changed my opinion now. I mean, if he really feels like he needs a midfielder and that one is available, then I suppose that has to be articulated to the owners. As we said the other week, Steve... One of the big problems at Liverpool for a long time, and this has been viewed as a strength from time to time, you know, sticking to the guns about who they want and, and who they're going to go for. But unfortunately, games sometimes get in the way of that and results can do as well. I mean, I, I'm repeating myself, bloody Mike Tyson comments, but everybody has a plan but until they get punched in the face. You know, I said that last week. You can't just say, well, this is what we're going to do. You know, if there's... If there's a, a need in a certain area of the team, sometimes you do have to be reactive, I think. Um, otherwise, the season just gets away from you very quickly, as we've seen in the past. I mean, uh, I'm sure that what happened two seasons ago will, will give them confidence if it reached that sort of situation. Uh, you know, bear in mind, you don't have much uh, longer to, to make a decision or, or try and strike a deal. But, you know, what happened two seasons ago, they probably say, well, we, did, we, we got into the Champions League, but they were fortunate. It was, let's be honest, it was a... Alison Becker had a, a way, you could argue, from, from not, not getting there. You know, your goalkeeper rescuing you in the last minute in an away game. So, last night, I mean, I saw Julian Wards was sitting next to Billy Hogan at Old Trafford's. A lot of eyes are going to be on him over the next couple of weeks. It's going to be interesting to see how his relationship with Klopp develops. You know, from what I can tell and hear, he's a different sort of character. Michael Edwards, Michael Edwards would stand his ground when he was with, you know, in those conversations with Klopp going to be fascinating to see or to, to, to hear to try and find out what how that how that relationship sort of um, manifests over the next six months because I do think that what I'm told Ward's a slightly different character I think Edwards was very analytical very very sort of you know abrupt shall we say at certain times Ward more approachable from what I'm told but that relationship is going to be key really to to, to what happens at Liverpool over the next couple of years because recruitment Every every single manager, every single club ultimately lives and dies by it. And I think given, you know, the, the number of players that are in the thirties, you know, it's gonna be important that Liverpool 
do the recruitment well. You know, Ward's gone into the job at a, at a time when, you know, there's going to be quite a lot of pressure on him, I'd say. Hello, I'm James Richardson. If, like me, you've ever felt like one of Cantona's cows watching gamely as football steams past like an express train, then why not join me three times a week over on the Totally Football Show? This Monday, for example, I'll be joined by Daniel Storey, Tom Williams and Benji Lignardo to explain what actually happened this Premier League weekend. Huh. Tuesday, it's the turn of the Euro crew, Horncastle, Honigstein, Alvaro Romeo and Julian Laurence to drop knowledge on all the continent's big stories, including this week the biggest last-minute come back in Bundesliga history. Woof. Thursday then, it's back to our septic aisle to preview the weekend's Premier League games again with data beta Duncan Alexander and this week, analysis from Carl Anker and Adrian Clark. Join us then for cogent insight, fun and a few feeble puns plus the odd move from me. Just search for The Totally Football Show wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Smucker's Uncrustables Radio Hour with round soft pillowy bread filled with delicious PB&J. Here's your host, Uncrustables. Caller on line three. What's eating you? No one. Crust, is that you? Ugh. Uncrustables are the best part of the sandwich. Sorry, Crust. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for 40% off site-wide. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Keith, the only thing that made me smile last night, I don't know whether you saw it on the Sky coverage, was Ronaldo blanking Jamie Carragher, which I thought was brilliant. It was like something out of school, wasn't it, where you just literally don't want to talk to someone. Carragher took it really well, didn't he? He did, didn't he? It was absolutely superb. Um, I don't know what's gone on there, whether there's some history. Is, is that because Carragher said he should leave the club or something? I think Carragher's sort of been on that yeah, side of the Ronaldo debate, hasn't he? So I think Ronaldo was sort of just letting him know, yeah, I'm not... I'm not no, having but, you. Yeah, I'm not having you today. But it, yeah, made for good TV. To be honest, I was impressed with uh, Monday Night Football last night, even though Liverpool lost. You had Stormzy showing up, the Lionesses were there. It was it was good watching, just needed to be rounded off with a, a good Liverpool performance. But we, you know, we we were waiting for that. That was the best bit, the non-football. Go on, Si. They all know, don't they? All, the, all these superstar players, they all know what has been said by whom all of the time. It's like mm. when, I remember... Funny one from last year when Carragher had spoken about Messi, basically saying, you know, the words to the effect of why is he signed for Paris Saint-Germain? So Messi, you think, is sort of indestructible, don't you? You think he, he must, must wouldn't care about such a thing. But no, Lionel Messi inboxes Carragher on his Instagram. And I think he called him a donkey, is that right? <laughs> so, you know, it just shows you, like, these players, they know everything that's being said all the time, don't they? And uh, I'm sure Ronaldo was aware of some of the things that had been said. The one thing that did make me laugh as well was, you know, all the all the other pundits were sort of talking to him, talk, saying Cristiano, but Roy Keane continues to call him Ronaldo, even though he has a per- or had a personal relationship with him, even though he played with him. There's yeah. still that distance with Keane. It's brilliant insight, isn't it? I thought it was lovely the way Stormzy, who's appeared in front of the whole of Glastonbury, thought it was the biggest thing ever to have him and, him and his kids just on Monday Night Football. <laughs> Um, let's just give a final thought, a quick um, 30 seconds on a piece you've written, Si, about Liverpool's American owners 
<laughs> learning from their mistakes. Manchester United have not. Great it seems sort, of, Steve. seems sort of ironic to be talking about it now, but you have spent a lot of time on this article, so go on. Well, yeah. I mean, I spent a little bit of time. I mean, it's just, I was just pointing out what people sort of know to some extent with a few anecdotes that maybe the, the people weren't aware of. But, I mean, regardless of what happened last night, I mean, if you're comparing the Glazers to FSG, and this isn't me saying FSG are great, blah, 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 but there's no doubt that the Glazers have been bad owners for Man United. There's just no doubt. With FSG, you can point towards the bricks and mortar in terms of what's being built, the stadium, you know, is 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 getting closer to Old Trafford, the, the the training ground. You have appointed a world class manager. I understand the debate around whether you know what will happen once Klopp leaves. Will it? Will the the sort of the this period extend into another decade? We don't know. Is the honest answer. But what I will say is that FSG have have, have done far more for Liverpool than 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 the Glazers have United who United who have just basically sat on the assets. Let it in economic world that the inherited go round and round and round and and done nothing really for the club. I mean, it's it's absolutely incredible. I must say, you know, when you talk about finance and football, that over the last nine years, I think people forget quite easily. You know, basics really. So like, you know, Man United nine years they haven't qualified for the Champions League in five of those seasons through the league placings, which is absolutely insane, really. And yet, you know, still they're able to sign. A seventy, uh, sorry, not a seventy-year-old centre back, a thirty-year-old centre back for seventy million pounds. If he signs a seventy-year-old centre back, that would be quite an interesting watch, wouldn't it? But uh, sorry, centre mid, sorry, not centre back. So I think that just shows you sort of where United are at. You know, the machine that was created at United a long ago, which the Glazers have manipulated. You know, in terms of the commercial value, but certainly not not invested in the. You know, in terms of the club, in terms of. The stadium, I think that's a big issue at United, and it's a big going to be a big issue for the next owners. And let, let's remember as well for people who haven't read it, you know, FSG lent Liverpool money on very, very, very low, next to zero interest loans. So it's not like you know that they have invested in the club that the, the, the money they will get back. But whether you think that an owner should be a big investor who just pumps all their money in and so you just rely on that money. Or whether you think that actually that is quite a good way of operating the club, but it does have some, if not some, a lot of shortcomings as we sort of discussed today. You know, is this the time when FSG could put some money in? Is it is it a time where FFP would would allow that? That's all rolled into the arguments as well. So the bottom line is, you know, FSG have been good owners, I would say, for Liverpool when you consider what they inherited. Glazers not so. I don't think you know, that last night changes everything for United. It puts gives them a bit more confidence, and you know I think it will give the manager a sign that the younger players he can trust in big games or trust more. So it's a step in the right direction for them, but I don't think it solves everything. And I think to be honest, until there's a, somebody else in charge of that club and, and more decisions are based around football, they're probably going to revisit the moments that they've had in the last couple of years. Okay, well, at least Liverpool winning on one front. So, if you want to feel better about uh, Liverpool Manchester United relationship, read Sai's article. Liverpool's American owners learning from their mistakes. United's have not many. Thanks, of course, to Kiva and to Sai for today's uh, red agenda. Thanks for everyone who gets in touch over the podcast, and we'll see you on the next one. Goodbye. <laughs>